Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey there, leaders, and welcome back to another episode of Leaders of B2B. Super excited today to have La- uh, Sean Leonard. I almost said Lon Shinnard. Uh, Sean Leonard <laughs> on the show of uh, Active Demand and Funnel Flare. And uh, yeah, super excited to dive in and hear your story. So thanks for joining us today, Sean. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, and so for everyone out there who doesn't know who you are and um, what your companies are, can you maybe give us kind of like the, the 90 second overview of um, who are you guys and what are the, the two primary businesses you're running today? Yeah, so uh, I'm Sean Leonard. I'm the CEO of Jump Demand. Uh, Jump Demand has uh, two uh, brands. One is Active Demand. The other one is Funnel Flare. And really what Jump Demand is about is uh, accelerating uh, customer acquisition. So uh, on the uh, marketing side and demand gen side, we have automation tools, which is our active demand platform. And then on the sales side, uh, we have a sales sales enablement platform, which we call Funnel Flare. But basically, both of them are are really for helping companies that uh, accelerate buyer journeys and uh, optimize customer acquisition. That's really what our mantra is at uh, Jump Demand is helping people grow their companies with technology. Awesome. I love that. And and so I'm curious, how did you get into this? You know, what was kind of the backstory and, and when these maybe broke out into two different companies along the way? But can you maybe give us a little bit of context or background on like, how did, uh, where did Jump Demand come from? Yeah. So previous company that I was working in was a company called uh, Matricon. And basically what we were doing is uh, selling software in industrial process control. And it was very long sales cycles, very long marketing cycles. And for the product that I was selling, it was very small transactional costs. I mean, price. So selling a small product that has huge ramifications on a plant, basically it ended up, you know, uh, the way these uh, process control or manufacturing companies, how they mitigate risk is, of course, with with process through the purchasing purchasing and acquisition of uh, technology. So we were faced with, so how do we scale a company where, you know, this long marketing cycle, long sales cycle, and we were in, in process control, so, and automation. So we thought, you know, why don't we just use automation for uh, the processes, right? When internet marketing was new and it wasn't really something that uh, people were thinking about, but we we used automation for our sales and marketing processes because automation doesn't come from marketing and sales. It actually comes from 
manufacturing. And so we built out a, you know, we're one of the first companies doing very aggressive uh, digital marketing and sales using automation that we built in-house and we scaled our company rapidly doing this. And then we, uh, the company, you know, got in the way of a Honeywell and Honeywell bought us and uh, post-acquisition, I had uh, time and money. And uh, by this time though, is that marketing and sales automation were now things people were doing, right? Uh, And there was several players in the space. And what I sort of thought was the, Digital marketing is is complex, and it's getting more complex. Right? It's uh, you know at the time to create a digital ad with Google, you almost had to have a PhD in it. Right? It's it was extremely difficult, and I didn't see it getting any simpler. Right? So I felt that uh, companies would need to outsource marketing. Right. It seemed to me the the natural path would be people outsourcing expertise in digital marketing to uh, agencies. Right. So, and I looked, and at the time, there's marketing automation. Right. There was uh, several players in the space, but none of the marketing agencies were using marketing automation. Right. And there wasn't anything in place for them, for uh, agencies to do marketing automation. So my play in my mind was build a marketing automation as a service, as infrastructure for those that market for many. Right. Which are marketing agencies. So uh, we started an agency. It's a bit of a bit of a story here, but we started an agency to bootstrap the development of a infrastructure so we'd sort of feel the burn and and uh, solve the problems naturally and uh, so we built a, a multi-tenant marketing automation system for us as the agency then we pivoted right and the the pivot was to be focusing on focusing on marketing agencies and providing them with infrastructure where they could rapidly deploy very advanced uh, marketing systems for and manage for a large fleet of clients. The model has is, is been very successful. And uh, it's a case, and so the, the brand, like we had to pivot because we were an agency, we had to burn the ships. We can't act as an agency and uh, sell to agencies. So we uh, literally, you know, burnt the ships and pivot, full pivot. And we, what we found as an agency is if we're coming to the show, sort of, so to speak, with tools, Usually sales happens before marketing from a company's evolution perspective, right? They typically, an entrepreneur uh, comes up with an idea, starts selling, maybe hires another salesperson and says, go do what I was doing. And they might get a CRM, right? And then they start hiring marketers or outsource it. But at the end of the day, the CRM always happens before the uh, uh, marketing system. So as a uh, strategy with uh, the infrastructure, we had to have an insane integration with CRMs, not just a checkbox, but literally we had to be so good with the integrations with the CRMs that there wouldn't be a question, right? If like, for example, I have Salesforce and, you know, they say, oh, yeah, part you know, is going to be the answer. Well, no, it had to be the case. We're better than even the native in-house marketing automation systems from an integration perspective. So uh, we built out a lot of very, very deep integrations with the CRMs. And uh, then what happened was we start getting all these leads from the CRM vendors, right? And 
we only have marketing automation. We can't sell the marketing automation because you can't sell the salesperson. It's it's the wrong tool, right? But clearly they were here for a reason, right? They were showing up at our door with a problem that they're trying to solve, right? So we looked and said, okay, what is the problem that, that they all face? And we carved out a subset of the marketing automation platform that just solved those those key problems. And basically all we did was hid all the the advanced marketing automation and we ended up, we came into the market with a rebrand. We basically spun off Funnel Flare. That was the, uh, the sales enablement tool. And uh, it came into the market with, uh, you know, a depth of tech because it's built on an enterprise marketing automation system. And integrating with a large, uh, you know, inventory of CRMs. So uh, all of a sudden, we came into the market with a uh, a fully loaded sales enablement platform. And we weren't even thinking about sales enablement because we've been selling the marketers all this time. And all of a sudden, wow, there's a huge problem here that everyone that there's very few players, and we're coming in with just a a, a pretty pretty huge stack. So, so that's a quick uh, long story short was our short story long rather was uh, we started off with the intent of uh, building a uh, multi-tenant marketing automation system, which we did, and we're doing very well with it. And we're sort of stumbled across this problem of sales enablement and uh, and created Funnel Flare just recently. It's only been a year, but uh, it's been a very nice pairing of the two the two platforms. So nice. That's super fascinating, and uh, there's a lot that I want to unpack there. Um, so one thing I'm curious is. Um, when you talk about kind of, I guess this, like the, you integrate with the CRMs and then the CRM starts sending you leads and customers and everything. And I know that this, for a lot of companies, like that's the dream when you get a partnership that's working there and you align with some big SaaS company that's VC backed with tons of customers. And then they just start sending you customers because you've somehow created value. And I'm curious how you thought about that. Was that intentional or what have you learned, I guess, about, building those kind of relationships, say, with these like CRMs in this example and kind of building that up? Yeah, well, it's definitely the case that, uh, like I said, is originally our, our path with Active Demand was was focusing on the multi-tenant marketer, which is the the agencies. And we built the the CRM integrations out of, out of necessity. But once we had the integrations, of course, from a marketing perspective, we wanted to leverage the deep integration to increase the size of the sale for the CRM vendors, right? Because many CRM vendors, they don't, you know, none of the marketing automation systems, unless your name is Salesforce, they're not going to spend any time building a deep integration, right? They're going to say, oh, go use Zapier or something like that. So us going to the CRM vendors with a, you know, a deep, deep, deep integration, it's a dream come true for them, right? Because all of a sudden there's, you know, somebody that's taking their business seriously and uh, they're very happy to have us in their marketplace because now their salespeople, if they ever come up against a, a, a situation where the deal is going to be closed or lost from the CRM side, if they can also integrate and have a story with marketing automation, now they have it. 
right? So it's been very good. Like we have had very good relationships with, uh, with the CRM vendors and we, we've definitely spent a bunch of time uh, co-marketing with them and uh, co-selling. Like we, we co-sell with the CRM vendors as well. And we've uh, always played it very, you know, we're here to help the CRM vendor succeed with the, uh, with the sale. So it's been very good. Yeah. It's, it's, but like I said, the, the, the challenge is, is that they sell oranges, we sell apples. And it's a case that the only time that that story is, is uh, of use is if, you know, there's somebody on the side of the CRM purchase that is interested in the marketing piece. Um, so then it's a case that's where uh, it led to uh, building Funnel Flare. And now when we're uh, talking to uh, sales uh, CRMs, uh, it's a lot more aligned with the closing of the deal for the CRM vendor, right? Because now we are giving them access to sales automation that you know they might have in their roadmap someday, which is okay, right? But today, if they don't, you know, it's a case we are both talking to the same same customer with the same pitch. And both cases, both with active demand and with funnel flare, uh, we've taken the approach of, uh, and it's been a strategic choice of our company, we will not be a CRM, right? It's, and we've stated it clearly to all our CRM vendor partners, we don't sell a CRM, we're not going to be a CRM. We are going to, uh, part of our, like if you look at the jumpdemand.com uh, site, there's a a piece that we wrap, which is your CRM. So uh, we've 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 had to make that like some of our competitors in marketing automation, also on the the sales enablement side, have went in and built a CRM, right? And uh, um, yeah, then they lose the channel, right? Whereas we've we recognize the importance of the channel and uh, uh, have stated clearly is just in our strategic plans that we. The one company that we're not going to compete with is the CRM vendor. So, yeah, that's um, fascinating, and it is super cool to, I guess, hear that approach. And I'm curious, you know, if you were to look at your growth, like what? I don't know. Like, I know this is probably just like a shot in the dark, but like, what percentage of your growth or overall customer base would you say is attributable to the CRM relationships versus, you know, the other marketing or sales channels that you guys have put in place? So, because. Uh, our active demand side of the business has been focused on the multi-tenant marketer. So we're focusing on like at the plays where we end up being really strong as agencies, clearly. And uh, the other pieces, franchises, uh, senior living is another one that seems to be a, that pattern. So I would say uh, the active demand business, it's been uh, not as big of a percentage as one would think because you know, yes, we'll sell marketing automation to a business that has a, C a CRM, but typically our focus has been on the agencies. And the agencies don't, they're not concerned. They just, they just want to, they're, they're fishing with large nets. They want to uh, deliver value and demonstrate value delivered. And if it's a case that the CRM is there, fantastic. So I would say it hasn't been a, a large percentage for active demand, but clearly with FunnelFlare, it is a, a big percentage of the growth. It's it's not as as big as as one would think, but we do have some deep CRM partnerships that are like very deep, and uh, with those the growth has been really good, and it's uh, it's been very nice <clears throat> where 
they've actually uh, white labeled an OEM our tech stack and sell it uh, together with their platform. And that, of course, is a story I can't name names because it's an OEM relationship, but uh, that has definitely contributed to the growth of the, the business. So, Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, it, it, it's, I guess it's super interesting to see the multiple ways that that can build out. Um, I love that that you know, in some cases you guys build this whole solution and some people it's a partnership, others it turns to white label. But what I think it sounds like you're you're getting at is just by not competing with the CRMs, you can just become a partner in these various different ways and those each become growth channels for Funnel Flare in itself, basically. Yeah, the one thing that it led to is, is Funnel Flare, which was, you know, we wouldn't have thought of Funnel Flare if it wasn't for our partnerships with the CRM vendors. Right, because it was purely just a response to, you know, like back to the question you said, you know, what's how much of my growth comes from the CRM partnerships? And the reality was it, was it wasn't a lot because their customers are salespeople, and we're once removed, right? Because we have to talk to the salesperson, then go through and talk to the marketer who's thinking about marketing automation, right? So just the response to the lack of traction made Funnel Flare happen which we wouldn't have discovered if it wasn't for those partnerships. But because we discovered it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I love that. So I'm curious then, you know, what is, you know, you're basically running two brands or two companies that have some similarities, but have now essentially become their own products with their own different buyer personas. What have you seen or maybe some of the pros and cons of, of having that approach to business versus saying, we're going to go all in and be the best marketing automation tool or anything like that. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. And it is, it is absolutely a double-edged sword and it's a great question. And, you know, most companies uh, it's a big enough mountain to climb with a, with all of the weights for one company. Right. And even with marketing automation, there's like, if you look at the number of products that we compete with as niche products, like there's form companies, there's appointment scheduling companies, there's dashboard companies, there's all of these niche players that have little little individual pieces that uh, that they've grown great companies with, with just a small piece of what the, the marketing automation system is. And it was a tough decision to go with the funnel flare path because of the challenges of growing one company. Right. Uh, so, and what really tipped the, the the scales to say, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna bite the bullet, spend a bunch of money, and do it, was just the the number of leads we were getting and not being able to close. Right. So, we went in with just a okay, we'll just fire up a website, put another brand, and carve off a couple of pieces. Right. But once we discovered that there was a, a huge problem and then we started you know i dug into my pockets and started spending money right to uh to focus on this the separate product now what's made it uh, so the, the negative is that it's splitting a lot of you know there's only 24 hours in the day <laughs> right it's splitting a lot of those uh, uh we don't have unlimited bandwidth it's splitting that bandwidth up but the upside is that because we're talking about automation with funnel flare very quickly uh, much faster we get the conversation to the marketing with the crm lead Right. So it's a case that uh, not only are we sending uh, selling the sales enablement platform, but very quickly we are now talking to the marketers and then this, it pulls through the second piece. Uh, 
And because both piece, both of our tech stacks, both of our products are built on the same tech stack, it's not, we're not splitting the R&D and we're not splitting the support, right? Because it's, yes, the marketing is a different story, but uh, there are some synergies, uh, cost savings because of the uh, same tech stack being behind the scenes, right? So uh, the upside, it's the same tech stack and the same we it's the same approach to, but the big the big effort is 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 marketing and sales, because uh, it's you're promoting a uh, to a different persona completely, uh, you are selling to a different persona completely, right? And the stories and stuff like that, uh, it's the the cost is high on the marketing and sales side of things. So that makes sense. Um... So another question I'm curious about is just looking at your background. Um, it doesn't appear that you're, I guess, a, a technical developer yourself by, by background. Is that correct? Actually, I am. My under, like in my university, I, I did computer engineering as my undergrad, and then I did a master's in framework design and specifically applied to advanced modeling. But I also did a, uh, took a, uh, my MBA in technology commercialization. So it's a case that uh, my previous company, I did a lot of the development. And this company though, because web development's different than just like my first product that I wrote my cut my teeth on professionally was uh, uh, an HMI, which is a, a human machine interface for used in manufacturing, and uh, which is lend very similar. If you look at our tech stack now, some of the things that I, I uh, had was doing with the HMI work is is uh, is uh, shows itself up in our product. But this product, I I've. Uh, I am very fortunate to have a very strong CTO who, you know, has uh, really done magic and I've been able to stay out of development with this product and both products. With this company, I've, I've been able to stay out of development and focus on building, you know, process, business processes, sales and marketing, et cetera. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm a developer, but I, this company, I haven't spent much time developing, which has been nice. Yeah, and I'm curious, um, how is that for you, I guess, as like um, a CEO? Because I know there's different kind of sometimes a CEO wants to be very involved in the product design, everything like that. How, how hands-on do you get with that versus just kind of letting your CTO and your team kind of run with it versus really charting the product vision as well? Yeah, so I'm the, the role I've always taken in both the previous companies and this, uh, these companies has been the product owner, right? So I'm heavily involved in the product. In other words, what the product does and the design from a, from what the product is supposed to do, the market problems it's trying to solve. But the piece that where I stop is implementations. There's other people that are going to come up with, uh, how it's, how it's going to be, uh, coded, how it's going to be deployed, how it's going to be, uh, how the infrastructure is going to be to execute. And I mean, all that stuff is, I don't touch. So it's really, but as far as what the product's going to do, I've always been heavily involved and I stay heavily involved, uh, because it's, it's sort of the, the, the fun stuff. I, I enjoy it. I think one of the challenges a lot of companies have is if the people designing the product and building the product 
are not aware of the business problems being solved, it uh, I think it increases dev time and there's mistakes made and this type of stuff. We don't face that. We can run really lean because and make uh, fewer mistakes from an execution perspective because you know I know what the pro the business problem that needs to be solved is right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's um, yeah, I, I, I like that kind of from the vision of I guess like the product owner and, and having that sense there. I guess then, you know, looking for you, I guess, where do you see kind of the future or kind of going with these companies? Um, is this to build toward an acquisition at some point or what is your kind of plan or vision where you're taking this all? Yeah, and it's another good question. And I think uh, everybody that runs a, a, a company, there's uh, they're climbing a mountain, right? And climbing the mountain is, I think you race up the mountain and then, you know, when it either stops being fun uh, and it's entrepreneur entrepreneurs is fun is a is a weird <laughs> weird definition right because there's a lot of pain involved in the fun of uh, being an entrepreneur but uh you know it's either if it just you know stops being the mountain you want to be on then exit becomes something that you want right but the end of the day, it is you climb the mountain and uh, race up the mountain as, as far as you can go. And then hopefully the parachute's nice when you jump off, right? So everyone, I all the entrepreneurs I know, that's that's sort of how they think, right? It's I don't spend my days worrying about the parachute. I just focus on, you know, our whole company is focused on climbing the mountain as fast as we can, right? And uh, the parachute's going to come when it comes, right? Uh, there's been, I think, uh, everybody who's got software companies nowadays, their phones are ringing off the hook with VCs and investment firms and people looking to acquire a deal or whatever. Like I, I literally, I probably get five calls a week on people trying to buy the company at a, at a discount or offer me money for investment or, or whatever. But uh uh, my again right now my my goal is to climb the mountain, keep having fun, and uh, and the parachute will show up when it's when it uh, when it does. Nice, I I love that perspective of as long as it's fun, just keep going, and whenever it's not anymore, then you've got those options that are there. So that's a I think good way to look at it. <laughs> yeah, and it's got to be you got to have like at the end of the day is it's uh, I think all it's a part of life is, is working, right? And I, I, it's, and you might as well have something that you're doing that is, uh, that is enjoyable, right? And uh, especially if you're in a leadership position, if you're not having fun and uh, it's going to, it's going to reflect in the culture, right? And the, the, nobody, no one else is going to be having fun, right? And as a company, we 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 focus heavily on our culture, and we focus heavy heavily on uh, uh, culture fit when we're hiring people, and uh, we're all, you know, we're we're having fun, right? It is uh, there's uh, it's a big part of it. It is that we enjoy what we're doing, and we're. Uh, enjoy uh, helping people out and enjoy the problems we're solving. And uh, yeah, as soon as that en enjoyment is gone, then yeah, you, you got to do something else because it's not, you're not going to be able to fake it, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And I'm curious, cause, I mean, you're, it looks like you're what, about eight and a half years into jump demand and, and I'm curious, you know, have you had at any points like consider it and then got like re-excited in it, you know, it's, 
something where personally I my my company runs tend to I mostly like go and then like you know jump to the next thing. And I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are like that. Um, and I'm curious, you know, you're going on, um, you know, coming up to on a, like a decade here soon in this company and what you've, have you had any phases where you've considered, but then got yourself re-excited with the fun again or gone through any phases like that? Well, the thing is, it's been a, a rapid evolution through, like we went through the phase of the initial bootstrap, right. And building out a plot, a platform and, uh, like still bootstrapped, but I mean the initial agency phase where we we're executing as an agency to pay for the development. Uh, then the pivot, it was a, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah, I've, I've pivoted two companies and it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of blood. It's, it's painful, <laughs> right? It's, it's, yep. it's the reality of it. So uh, it's a case that uh, that phase was a uh, very exciting. And then it's the case that bringing on a funnel flare, it was all of a sudden another big change, right, that added to the story as well. And the successes we've been having make it exciting as well. So there hasn't been a case where I've stalled out and felt I got to go do something else, because I think the the one thing about being an entrepreneur is the beginning is the beginning part is really painful, right, because you're spending a lot of cash, you know, and it's uh, not sure if that cash is going to come back. And, you know, there's all the stuff is, oh, it's, this is so exciting. Oh, my God, we're going to lose a company. Oh, this is so exciting. We're, we're going to lose a company. You know, uh, that, you know, I, I have more fun now, right, where it's the, the company's growing and it's healthy and, you know, everything is. Uh, so I'm not sitting there. Oh, I can't wait to go back to, you know, uh, writing the first line of code and see if it's going to work. Right, but chances are, when I do the the parachute happens, it will will be the case that I go to it again, right? Because uh, it's all in our blood, right? Yeah, I love that. It's it's just a it's different different kind of phases to it all. There's a different challenge at each stage, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, awesome. Well, as we get to wrapping up here, one of the questions I always like to ask is, you know, if you could go back, maybe five say eight years, looking back on like earlier in your journey, you know, what advice would you go give your younger self? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think about this lots and, uh, uh, we've, I've always taken the approach through business is building strategic plans, pulsing the plans, making, making changes and adapting. So, rear view mirror, you know, it's a case that uh, doesn't involve strategy. It involves just, okay, what would be the tactics, right? Because you, you, you have full visibility into uh, everything that you've done, right? So rear view mirror, I would have, I wish I would have found this funnel flare opportunity uh, at the beginning, right? Because at the beginning we had great, we still have great tech, but I think the company would have uh, benefited but you can't predict that, right? It's a case that uh, you stumble across these opportunities and it'd be say, oh, if I only had that opportunity uh, four years ago, right? You know, we'd be, you know, dominant in in two spaces instead of, you know, uh, but anyways, that's the only, I don't know what the advice would be is that I would say the advice would be is build strategic plans, pulse them and give the strategy time to see if it's going to work and don't be afraid to pivot, right? It's, uh, you know, you got to sometimes realize that uh, I see the strategy isn't working. We've got to change, right? So 
and that process has, has been useful for me. And, uh, uh, but yeah, looking back, it'd be nice to have full visibility into, uh, what the future holds, but nobody does. Right. That makes sense. Um, awesome. Well, Sean, this has been amazing. Super appreciate you coming on the show. If someone wants to go find out more about you, about active demand, funnel flare, anything, where's the best place to go to find all of that online? Yeah, so uh, activedemand.com is our uh, marketing automation site, and funnelflare.io is our is our sales enablement site. So either one of those two is uh, is the is the best place. Yeah, or me on LinkedIn. Definitely connect. For there's lots of Sean Leonard's, unfortunately, but it's uh, I, I have my name Leonard Sean reversed. They're both first names, but you can find me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. Happy to chat. So awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to come on here, Sean. This was great. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.